So the Lord put on my heart this week to preach on the subject of contentment. Contentment. So we find ourselves in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 6. We'll read verses 3 through 12. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 12, the Word of God says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil, surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us there be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Father, we ask you now to take this bread of life and give each one of us the morsel that belongs to us this morning. We pray that you have the ability to feed each one of us individually in this congregation. You know that I don't know where the hearts of men may lie, but you do. And so I pray for your precious spirit to go forth now and to do the work that no man can do. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> when you talk about the topic of discontentment or contentment and the opposite of that being discontentment, there was a burglar, he was discontent with what he had, so he wanted to go to someone else's house and take some things. That's what burglars do. So this burglar gets into this house one night He's shining his flashlight on the floor in the dark and he hears a voice saying, Jesus is watching you. He looked around nervously, he shook his head and he kept looking for the valuables, but then he heard it again. It said, Jesus is watching you. And this time he, he shines his light all around and he, he rests it on this parrot over in a cage. And he asked the parrot, he said, did you say that? And the parrot he admitted that he had. He said, I'm just trying to warn you, that's all. And the burglar said, what are you talking about? Warn me. Who are you? What's your name? And the bird says, my name is Moses. And he said, well, what kind of stupid people would name a parrot Moses? And the bird answered, he said, I don't know. I guess the same folks who would name a Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching. When you talk about contentment in this day and hour, it is countercultural to what we experience every day in the world that we live in, isn't it? But God here in this, in this chapter, He says so much, and, and I have to be careful to do, say what God wants to say. There's, it, it, there's a lot here in just these few verses, but <clears throat> in verse 3 through 5, he's, he's talking about how men teach and what they do and the wranglings with words and the, and the disputes and all of the different aspects of that. And God is putting to rest every notion of any doctrine that doesn't lead to godliness. 
If you don't see that in this passage that God is putting to rest, he said, if it does not produce godliness, then it shouldn't be being preached from a pulpit. We shouldn't be preaching sinning religion. We shouldn't be preaching a, a God that's full of grace that leads men to sin. We should never teach that. Grace is power over sin, not power or freedom to sin. It is actually freedom from sin. And the Bible is just simply declaring that truth to us. In verse 5, he, he begins to put to rest all the doctrines of, of being rich, get rich, and live rich. He's, he's putting all that to the side. He's saying... This is not what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not all about money. I get sick and tired of every time I turn on a TV preacher, I'd just like to get something out of it, and everything is about money. It's about their money. It's about you giving money. It's about money, money, and more money. Oh, there's biblical principles about money. There's no doubt about that. Should we tithe? Definitely. There's biblical principles for that. But the gospel is not about being rich and to live rich and to get rich. It's just simply not about that. It is about being rich in Christ Jesus. It's about having the Spirit of God, the most precious gift that man has ever been given, dwelling in the heart of men. That's the richness that God wants to give us. That's the richness that produces godliness. He tells us here in verse 5, he says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. He said, if they teach this, they're of corrupt minds. He said, they're destitute of the truth. They don't even have the truth. They're destitute of it, supposing that gain is godliness. If you hear somebody that says that God wants you to be wealthy, you already know that the Bible condemns such a, a doctrine as that. And he says, supposing that gain is godliness, he says, from such, withdraw yourself. Don't even listen to someone who wants to teach that. If this same gospel doesn't work in a third world country as it does in America, you can't go to Haiti and tell them if you're not rich, you can't be saved. If it doesn't work there, it doesn't work here. It's the same gospel for all men in all places at all times. It's the blood of Christ that washes us from our sins. It's the blood of Christ. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's only through his blood can any of these things be accomplished. It's only through his blood that I as a man can stand in a pulpit and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and he can speak to me here, begin to speak to, to Liz in the congregation prior to coming. Other people are hearing the voice of God and it begins to work together to produce the fruit that God wants to. You see, that's divine inspiration from Almighty God. We cannot craft that. We can't put notes on paper and make that happen. It has to happen because we're in touch with God. We're hearing his voice. We're pursuing him because he's pursued us. In verse 6 through 8, which 6 here happens to be the verse that we're going to focus on. It's kind of the centerpiece of, of what, we're, what God is wanting to say this morning. It, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In verse 8 he says, having food and raiment let us... Be there with content. Food and clothing, those are the bare minimums. Those are the things that we should be content with. If we have those things, we ought to be content. But see, you realize that contentment doesn't come without godliness. Godliness with contentment is what produces the great gain in our lives. There's two parts to it. We can't just say we're going to be content with what we have. Apart from godliness, you'll never be content with what you have. It's a two-part system. To have great gain, it also has a benefit not only in this world, but also the world to come. Godliness with contentment will benefit us now, but it will benefit us in the future to come in heaven. 
when we go there. What is contentment? What do we say when we read something like this? What does it mean to us? How does it apply to our life? Contentment in the literal sense means that we're, that we're satisfied. That what we have is sufficient for us. We don't need anything else. We don't have strong desires for other things. We're, we're content right where God has us in our life. Do you realize that the closer that we get to God, the more time we spend in His Word, the more time in prayer, the closer we get to God, the less that we're drawn by this world, the less it has a, a pull on us, the closer we get to God. See, the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. See, we often look at the stock market and try to find out if our portfolio has increased by a certain percentage. Those are small gains. God is offering us an investment in the kingdom of God that gives great gains, returns. And when God says great, it's not like you and me saying great. I mean, he means great. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But do you realize that one of the main tools that the enemy of our souls, that Satan, the deceiver, Lucifer, the devil, what he uses against us in our lives and in the lives of the people across this planet, everywhere you look, everything that you hear on the news, everything that you read in the newspapers, all of the major stories, they all breed discontentment. Everything that's going on in this world is designed to make humanity discontent. Do you realize why? Because we live in a spiritual world with spiritual principalities and powers that are ruling this world. The Bible says that Satan, Lucifer, is the God of this world. We've elected him. Mankind has elected him by rejecting Jesus Christ. They by default elect Satan to be their God. So if you're here this morning, you've rejected Jesus Christ. You by default have elected Lucifer, Satan, the devil, to be your God. And because of that, the world as a whole has elected Lucifer to be their God. So he is the God of this world, in a sense. And because of that, he breeds discontentment in our lives, puts thoughts in our minds, continues to make us unhappy with where we're at. We cannot be satisfied. We do not have enough. We are discontent. And so we realize that you fall into one of two categories this morning. You're either content or you're discontent. The enemy of contentment is envy and jealousy and coveting. That's the enemy of contentment. It's opposite. It's the antithesis of envy and jealousy, covetousness. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 20, some of the only words in the scripture that God wrote with his own hand upon the rocks that Moses on Mount Sinai received from the hand of the living God. In verse 17 he says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. This would include in today's world his boat, his motorcycle. It would, it would even include his lawnmower. If you've seen some of them nice lawnmowers out there, I mean, you start to drive by and you start turning your head. And, you know, It would include his tractors, and for some of you farmers, it would include his pigs and his cows and his chickens. Some of you young people, it would include their, their Xboxes and all the games they have. We're not to covet. We're, we shouldn't desire what other people have. In fact, we should be happy that they have those things. <clears throat> we shouldn't be covetous. The mantra of today in, in this world we live in is, 
I see it, I want it, and I've got to have it. Isn't that what the whole marketing world is all about? It's why billboards are raised up. It's why newspaper ads, it's why television commercials. Because they want you to see it and desire it and have to have it because that makes them money. Now, I'm convinced that cell phones and tablets and the internet is one of the worst enemies of being content. See, my kids, little Jada, she'll get on her little tablet. She just did it to me, I think, yesterday or the day before. She's scrolling through something. I don't know what she's looking at. And all of a sudden, she finds something that she would like to have. She goes, Dad, can I get this? Can I get this? My sons, they'll find sneakers that I didn't even know existed. I didn't know you could spend so much money on shoes in this world. But they'll find these shoes. Five minutes ago, they didn't even know these things existed, but now they have to have them. It's an emergency situation. And so I'm just convinced that these things breed discontentment in their life, so they're no longer satisfied with what they already have. Now they've got to have more or something different. Now, some of us, we could fall into that same thing as adults if we're not careful. Amen? You've heard the old saying that the, the curly-haired girls want straight hair, the blonde-haired girls want brown hair, the straight-haired girls want curly hair, the, the brown-haired girls want blonde hair, the tall girls want to be shorter, the shorter girls want to be taller. It's the world we live in. They try to sell you, they try to breed this discontentment in your life. That's the enemy whispering to your mind, trying to get you to be discontent. And we have to reply to him, I'm content in Christ, and so I don't need any of those things. I'm happy with who God has made me, what he has made me, and who he has made me. And I'm going to live my life that way. A discontent person cannot have joy. If you're discontent, you can't have joy. And the Bible says that, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we walk around discontent without joy, which by default means we have no strength. If we have no strength, how are we going to live lives that are godly? How are we going to win the lost? How are we going to maintain our own salvation if we've lost all of our strength because of discontentment? And so we've got to be careful. The enemy, this is one of the enemies of the cross, this thing of discontentment. That's why, that's why the Bible warns us against it. The key, key number one for contentment is to know your purpose the purpose for why we exist on this in this world is to know God and to make him known to our fellow man it's all about getting to heaven that's our purpose it's why God made us for relationship with him he made Adam in the garden of Eden for a relationship with himself he made you and I for a relationship with him that's our purpose it's why we were created so if we're living life for any other thing other than a relationship with Jesus Christ we're missing the picture. You're not going to be content. It's an impossibility to be content at that point because there's always going to be this vacuum inside of you because God created you to have fellowship with Him. That's all He's ever wanted. He didn't make us to just follow a bunch of rules and regulations. That's not why God made us. He put the rules and regulations there to protect us. The same reason we tell our kids, don't walk over the cliff. Don't climb up the wall that has rocks at the bottom of it that you could fall and get hurt. God put those boundaries there for our own protection, both spiritual and physical. He gave us those rules to protect us, 
But the world tries to make us discontent with the rules of God. The world tries to tell us, the devil whispers in our ear and says, God just doesn't want you to have fun. But the reality of it is God is protecting us. God is putting his arms around us. God has created us for a purpose to know him and to make him known to this world. Do you realize that money will not bring contentment? Sex will not bring contentment. Drugs will not bring contentment. Power in this world will not bring contentment. It is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you and I can truly have deep-seated contentment, satisfaction. We can have everything that we ever needed in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you living there this morning? If you are, say amen. Well, we got some work to do. Lord, I'll preach harder. The Bible tells us that the keys to knowing our purpose is to live a holy life in godliness and in righteousness. That's what brings contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. There was a song when I was a little kid, and, and I would hate to share this story with you. I think I have before that my mother made us sing you know, in front of thousands of people, it seemed like. I don't know if there might have only been hundreds at a, at a talent show. It should have been the lack of talent show if I was in it, but... But I had to do it. I didn't have a choice. I didn't volunteer. My mom volunteered me. But the song was good, and apparently it served a purpose because it stayed in my mind ever since. And it, one of the verses says, I'll be content to live in a tent if that's where God wants me. And that's all I got from that. The rest was all embarrassment and shame and ridicule. But, <laughs> but the Lord used that, and I still have that that I can hang on to that I walked away with something. So thank you, Lord, for that. In spite of my mother. <laughs> but God wants us to keep our eyes focused on the main thing. And that's to know him. To be intimate with him. That's why we, that's why we want to read our Bible. Because he's given us 66 books in order to read his mind. We can read the mind of God. We can know God. His spirit inside of us can counsel us. We have a conscience. We have, have a thought process. He can help us to know him. We want to keep our eyes focused on the main thing. We don't want to major in the minors and minor in the majors. That's what this world tries to get us to do. Tries to distract us. Try to get us discontent so that we major in the minors and we minor in the majors. Which is to know God and to make him known. We're not here in this, on this world to accumulate things. You realize that? We're not here. We don't work our jobs just to accumulate stuff, to build stuff. One of the signs on the cars, the old bumper stickers, when people put bumper stickers, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. It's not true. You don't win. You not only win while you're here, the only reason you're buying more and more toys is because you're discontent with where you're at. And when you die, if you don't have Christ, you're certainly not going to win. The world's mentality is to get all you can and to can all you get. We don't live that type of life. We're not here to compete with everyone else. That's not our job. It's not our purpose. We have to know our purpose. See, that's the key, number one, to contentment is to know our purpose. If God allows you to have something, that's fine. But if he doesn't, that should be fine also. We have to be content. We have to live with that reality. We were not made for materialism. You and I. This world is a materialistic world. In fact, many have adopted theology that's materialistic. That all there is is the material world. Atoms and stuff. It's all materialism. And it's what they live for. What a shallow, hollow 
existence. And we have the message of hope that can bring fulfillment to a life in Christ Jesus. We end up <clears throat> buying things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even know. That's what the world does. We can't let our yearnings outspend our earnings, amen? That's just finance 101. Don't let your yearnings outspend your earnings. This culture we live in, though, is an impulse buying culture. They want to get you off your rocker, just tilt it a little bit and go buy something. So husbands, get ready for this. Here's the famous line that you hear when your wife gets back from the store. Look how much I saved with a receipt. Look how much I just saved. And so my question has always been, are you telling me that there's more money in our bank account now after you came home than when you left? It never seems to work like that. Now I'm going to tell on Ashley. She used to, she used to do this to me. She'd come home, she came home this one day and she had this entire case, a whole Looked like a pallet full, but she could carry it, of Yankee candles. And I'm looking at these things. I'm going, what in the world? Do Our house already looks like we practice voodoo. <laughs> and she's got a whole pallet of, a whole thing of Yankee candles she's carrying them. Probably pulled her back muscle trying to get it through the door. I said, what is this? She said, well, they were on sale. And I said, well, that is fantastic that they were on sale. And then she said, and look, here, look at the bottom. They're made in the USA. I said, you keep this economy rolling there, lady. You just keep doing it. You keep doing it. But then she did tell me that they were for gifts for her family and friends throughout the year. And so they weren't even for us at all. And so it was actually a good thing that she had done. So... I was thankful. But we have to know our purpose. The key number two to living a life of godliness and contentment is to understand and to know our expectations. From a biblical perspective. See, the Bible tells us in verse 8 that our expectations should really be food and clothing. Food and raiment. Those are our expectations. Food and raiment. Anything beyond that is just a plus. These are the necessities of life. Verse 7 tells us that we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. It's the old U-Haul thing. You can't, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. It's just the way that it is. We brought nothing in, we'll take nothing out. It's the way that it is. But in verse 8, it tells us having food and raiment, let us be there with content. See, if our expectations are out of line with what the Bible tells us, It'll breed discontentment. That's why we have to know the expectations from a biblical perspective so that we don't expect too much. The enemy's going to try to get us to expect too much because when we do and then we don't get it, it breeds discontentment, doesn't it? And then, there, and then the enemy seems to put messengers of this discontentment in pulpits so that they can breed discontentment in your life. You don't have this, you don't have that. You know, you, you, you should be rich and you're not, so you're discontent. You, you should be healthy, but you're not. You're sick and so you're discontent. Your, your life should be perfect. Your marriage should be perfect. Your home should be perfect. Your car should always run. Your washer should never break. But these things happen, and so it breeds discontentment in your life. 
See, those are messengers, messengers of the enemy there to discourage you and to bring discontentment because if he can bring discontentment, he can steal your joy. When he steals your joy, your strength is gone and the world cannot be impacted by your life because you didn't know your purpose and you didn't know the expectations that were biblical. If you have, an, if you have food and clothing in this world, do you realize you're in the top 25% of all of humanity? The 75% of the world doesn't even have that. Just food and clothing. You realize that discontentment in the home is, is probably the primary reason in some form or fashion marriages are falling apart. Discontentment in the home. You think that that other person is supposed to make you happy. You think that that's their job. So you've put unrealistic expectations on them and because of that, your expectations for your spouse is greater than their ability to perform it. They can't do it. They, you're looking for them to do things that really only God is capable of doing. You want them to fulfill you. Well, that's not going to happen. Okay? It's just not going to happen. That's what God is there for. He wants that. You can't make a spouse an idol. We shouldn't make our family our idols. God has to reign supreme. God has to be number one, and the fulfillment will come. Godliness with contentment will be great gain in our lives. You hear that all the time from women. Oh, he just doesn't fulfill me anymore. And then, and then the men will say things like, she just doesn't understand me like I want her to. How silly is that? we got to grow up in the church. This is sometimes people who call themselves Christians talk like this. They don't know what expectations they should have. For their spouses, they don't know what a husband and wife is there to do as a, as a helper. We're supposed to compliment one another, work together, but all for the kingdom of God. We put these unrealistic expectations on them, but God did not create our spouses for that. They're not the foundation of our lives. God is the foundation of our lives. They're just an addition. They're an addition. If They, they come and go. They may not come at all. People die. This is, this is the reality of it. The foundation has to be God. Then the extra, the addition, is our wives or our husbands. When God was in the Garden of Eden, he created Adam first. It was just him and, him and God. He built the foundation first between, him and, between Adam and God and then added as an addition Eve to the picture. When you think that they're supposed to provide more than they're capable of, see, you start looking at that other person with discontentment. You start finding fault in them because they're not doing the things that you think they ought to be doing. And so you start to find discontentment. And the enemy, don't think the enemy doesn't sit there and just whisper in your ear all day and all night of all the things you should be discontent about the one you're with, the sp your, your husband or your wife. The, the, he'll, just, he'll just constantly try to whisper because if he can tear down the home, he can tear down society, he can make you discontent. He can not only affect that home, but he can affect the next generation and the next generation and the next generation with the breakdown of the home. And it's up to us as Christians to know the expectations that we should have biblically so that we can build strong godly homes. Sometimes as time goes on and, and you do things godly and you, you, that woman starts to wake up with that man in the morning and, and his breath stinks more than you thought it always would. You think he's developed halitosis and... And now, and so you, it breeds discontentment sometimes. But, but God didn't put 
him there to have fresh breath in the morning. Amen? And sometimes, men, you didn't realize before you married her that her feet really stink after a long, hard day of work. And she might ask you to rub them. And it can breed discontentment if we're not careful in our lives, if we don't watch closely to the whispers in our ears, the thoughts in our minds. That's why Jesus said, take every thought captive and make it obedient to the Lordship of Christ. Sometimes it seems as though women want us to read their minds, don't they, men? And so they say, he hasn't read my mind anymore. He doesn't understand me the way I need to be understood. Well, here's a news flash for all you ladies that are married and some that may not be. He's never going to. God made you an anomaly. We're not going to understand you. It's just the way that it is. But God understands you. And see, so you're, you're looking for something in your husband that only God can provide. And that's a deep-seated understanding of who you are and what you are and what makes you tick. Our understanding is limited and only by the grace of God. And trust me, men, if we understand anything about women, it will be by the grace of God. Amen? It is true. My personal favorite and I think is legitimate biblical grounds for divorce, is she isn't rubbing my feet anymore. It's just the way it is. Seems like she promised all this while we were dating, foot rubs every day, and now they've gone away, you know. And so you grow discontent. Because oftentimes we focus on what they're not doing and, what, and not what they are doing. And so we got to be careful. Verse 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. See, this verse 9, it tells us why we have to know what our biblical expectations should be. We have to know them because we often will pay for what we don't know. If we believe that we're supposed to have all these things, if we believe that they're supposed to, our spouses are supposed to give us all this, if we believe we're supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, we start accumulating these false doctrines, these false ideas into our lives, then then the expectations are not met. We grow discontent. We lose our strength. We lose our joy, which is our strength. And then we become, in effect, useless for the kingdom of God. And this world needs us to be strong. Now, key number three to contentment is knowing our Savior. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. But you can't have godliness without knowing the Savior. See, many people, though, are discontent with the God of the Bible. They read the Bible and they find discontentment with who He is and what He is. So they feel like they will do God the favor and create a God in their own mind of who they want. They'll just make a God that, that, that pleases them because they don't like the one that's in the Scripture. And so in verse 3 through 5 here, the Bible tells us about those people. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. That's who he's talking about here. 
If we don't know the Savior, we don't know who He is, we'll have these lofty expectations that will never be met. It says these men who teach these things are destitute of the truth. They're not consenting to wholesome words. So we find people that want to just create a God that, that meets, the, I think it was Voltaire that said God created us and then we did the favor and recreated a God in our own image after he created us in his image. And that's what we live in. In this world, everyone has all these perceptions of who God is. And so they begin to create a God in their, in their own image, in their own likeness for what they think should be okay. And they, they refuse to listen to what the Word of God says. They sometimes say, well, the preacher said that I was supposed to be wealthy, but I'm not. The preacher said that I was supposed to never get sick or my faith was too small, but I am. They said it was okay if I was addicted to substances and, and I had idols in my life, whether those are my spouse, my job, my own goals, my family. Maybe those things have become idols, but sometimes they're, they're things that we take pleasure in that God is displeased with. We think it's okay, so we just create a God in our own mind and in our image because we're discontent with the biblical God, the God of Scripture, we become discontent with Him. We, be grow, we grow discontent, and this is for you young people and old people alike, all ages. We're discontent with having to wait for sex until marriage, doing things God's way. And because of that, we create a God that doesn't really mind fornication. We put it in our mind, oh, it's okay, God won't mind. But you've got to realize, He created those laws and those rules for our protection. And yes, it is sin if you venture out against God's will for our life. In verse 10, he tells us here that the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says it's not money, but it's the love of it. Money in and of itself is neither evil nor good. It is neutral. It is simply a means. God can use money, but the enemy can use money. The drive here is that godliness with contentment is the great gain that we should be going for. If God blesses us with money, fine. If he blesses us with poverty, that's fine too because God's will for our life is the perfect will for our life. So it's a blessing whether we have or whether we have not if we're in the will of God because we know that his perfect will should be being carried out in our life and that he's placed us right where we're at for the season of life we're in to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. Sometimes I know the Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen the countenance of his brother. The book of Proverbs teaches us that. But do you realize for iron to sharpen iron, there has to be a grinding, there has to be a smiting, it has to be, it has to be violent, it has to be aggressive. And that's how the word of God works in us, and that's how we are to work in each other's lives. Is that we want to sharpen one another. We want to make each other the men and women of God that we, that we need to be. And sometimes that's to say, brother, be content with where you're at. Sister, be content with right where you're at. God has you there for a reason. Now, if God didn't put you there, sometimes we make bad choices and we weren't listening to God. That's a whole other sermon another day. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So you put God first. You, you worship Him. You live for Him. Let Him place you where you are and let the chips fall where they may. And we should be satisfied with that. We should, have, we should be gratified with that. By the Bible in the book of Proverbs 23.4 says, Labor not to be rich what it tells us 
So why is it that the whole world wants, tells our young people to go to college to get a degree to make money to be wealthy? And that the whole goal of our life is to pass material wealth down to our children and our grandchildren. When the real wealth that we should be passing down is godliness with contentment. If we could pass that down to our children. If we could satisfy the inner, the inner cravings of the heart of man that only godliness with contentment can bring. Do you realize that we often don't know that money's not the answer until we get it? We often don't know that money isn't the answer until we get it. I, I, I thought of this years ago. It said the, the, the poor have an advantage over the rich and that they still have the hope that money is the answer. The rich already know that it's not. See, the poor still have a hope. They can still go after it. There's a carrot dangling in front of them. They still go after this concept of being wealthy. But the, poor, but the rich already know that that didn't do what they thought it would do. It was only after they got it. But the poor still have hope that that's the answer to life. But it's not. It's godliness with contentment. The best way to, to count your blessings, to be content, is to count your blessings and not your cash. Amen. Count your blessings and not your cash. Your cash will run out pretty quick. But if you think about your blessings, you'll be content before you know it. You'll be thankful to God before you know it. We should be grateful for what we already have. We should always possess in our minds an attitude of gratitude. Amen. See, because money has limitations, doesn't it? It has limitations. See, money can buy medicine, but it can't buy health. Money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy companionship, but it can't buy friendship. Money can buy entertainment, but it cannot buy happiness. Money can buy food, but it cannot buy an appetite. Money can buy a bed, but it cannot buy sleep. Money can buy a crucifix, but it cannot purchase the Savior. He has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In closing, I want to share a short story with you and a thought. See, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Amen? The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. We need to move at God's pace for our life. Are you where God wants you to be today? If you are, be content with where that. Don't look at anyone else. Don't worry about where everyone else is at in their life. Get your eyes off of them and get them on the Savior. Because everyone else, sometimes people spiritually, even in the church, they'll say, seem to have these high-minded attitudes. Well, they ought to be a little further along in their walk than they are. Well, who are you to discuss that or to decide that? If they're following Christ, that's what we need to worry about. Brother, are you listening to God? What's he doing in your life? Sister, are you hearing the voice of God? Are you in the word every day? Are you content with where God has you if, if they are? Let God move them at their own pace. Well, yesterday I was out raking the yard. And you wouldn't think that God could really speak to you too greatly through raking the yard, but... He can't. And so I've invited all my kids to rake the yard so God can talk to them too. Hey, God speaks. You got you to get there. But, but the Lord began to speak. And I, just, and I, even, I was just amazed that, that God could even speak through these seemingly menial tasks throughout the day. So, so a while back at the beginning of the spring, I had to set, cut down these six big ash trees that were all dead. A major limb fell, and I didn't want them to fall on the kids, so I had to 
had to reposition all of my goals for the summer, and I, I spent the last month, you know, splitting wood and stacking wood, for a, and I don't burn wood. So it, it was just one of those things that I needed to do, and it had to get done. And so when these massive trees fell, they were all dead. And so when they hit the ground, they shattered like glass, a lot of them. And so there was just wood everywhere, little twigs and branches just all over. I mean, possibly millions. I don't know if there were really that many, but a lot of pieces of wood everywhere in my yard. And so with all these sticks, then I get ready and we're going to pick up these sticks and all this, but my mower breaks. So I have to send my mower in to be repaired, but it takes almost a month to get it back. And so by the time I get it back, and, and I had time constraints, we didn't get the sticks picked up, the grass is waist high, I get the mower back, now I can't see the sticks anymore to pick up the sticks. And so I decide I'm going to mow the grass with the deck all the way up, and so I mow the grass with the deck all the way up, it cuts it down, and I begin to see some sticks. So we go through and we pick up sticks that we can see. Then after we get them all picked up, we go back through and lower the deck some more and pick up some and, and mow the grass and cut it down. And now it has revealed some more sticks and a lot more. But then there's all this dead grass on the ground. So we picked up all the sticks after the second mowing. Then yesterday, so I get out there and I begin to rake the dead grass off of the lawn. I go, you can't, these sticks must be having babies under here. They're multiplying everywhere. So you move the dead grass and there's just wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow full of sticks again. And so you begin to pick up sticks again and again. But God began to speak. He said, this is how I work in people's lives. I begin to take off those things on the top that I needed to get rid of. And after those things were gone... Then I begin to move and begin to pick up the sticks in your life that need to go away and to be thrown into the fire. And then I'll go ahead and mow again because it's time to do that again. And then when I mow again, it's going to reveal some more things in your life that I need to fix. I said, Lord. And then he said, I'll get the rake of the spirit out and I'll begin to rake the dead grass off of your life. And when I do, it's going to be sad because you're going to see that it looks like these sticks have multiplied. But they've been there all along, you just didn't see them. But now you can see them, and so now you have to do something about it. And that's how God works in our life, is that he begins to bring these things to light. That's why the Bible says to walk in the light, he's in the light. And we'll have fellowship one with another. That's why we can't walk, I can't walk Montrell's walk. I can't walk Alan's walk. I can't walk Zach's walk. They can't walk my walk. We have to have godliness. We need to possess that and be content with where we're at. And when we do, God will begin to mow the grass of our lives. It doesn't matter how tall it is. Some of us have had tall grass in our lives, but God will mow it. And then he'll mow it again after we get the sticks that were revealed the first time. Then he'll mow it again after he rakes the grass off. And he'll begin to reveal and to begin to produce in us godliness and holiness and righteousness that we need in this world. So I want to tell you to just be content with where God has you today and don't look at everyone else's life. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so I ask you two questions. Are you godly and are you content? Is Jesus really all you need this morning? If he's not, you know it. It's not a secret. You know. We don't know. You can come to church and look like anything. 
But is Jesus really all you need? We know that he actually is, but is he in your life? Father, we come to you this morning and simply ask that you begin to allow us to know the truth of you, the truth of scripture, to know our purpose and our expectations, to know you intimately, to have godliness in our life that will produce contentment, that will live this life content and with joy and great strength and impact this world around us, which will then in fact fulfill our purpose, which is to know you and to make you known. Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice this morning. I pray for this congregation, those who are, who are on the internet, those who are listening by live stream, those who will hear at a later date. I pray that your precious spirit would say more than a preacher could ever say, that you've went to hearts and minds and you begin to speak in that still loving, caring voice, that voice that says, come unto me, all ye that weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest unto your souls. Lord, if there's anyone here weary and heavy laden this morning, I pray that they would find peace in you. Anyone living lives of discontent, I pray, oh God, that you would bring contentment through your precious spirit, through rebirth, through being born again, repentance of sins. Lord, I pray for homes this morning, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters. Discontentment breeds and raises its ugly head that we don't find contentment in the ones we should love and the ones we care about. I pray for the body of Christ that we would not find discontentment in the things of the business of the building of the kingdom, in the church family, but we would find contentment. We would love one another with a holy love. And Lord, we would build your kingdom to the best of the ability that you give us. Father, touch lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.